You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Welcome back to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is the show where I want to talk about everything. Welcome back. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you, too, enjoy talking about everything and a variety and gaining perspective by triangulating your position, setting up sensors, maybe one up on the mountain over there, one on the foothills over there, one on the plain over there, so that you can identify where the dragon is going to be. This, of course, is a reference to the movie Reign of Fire. If you two enjoy figuring out things by triangulating your position and theirs, you've come to the right place. But this episode, more specifically, I want to talk about broad brushes. And what is the problem with broad brushes? Do broad brushes get too bad of a rap? Do they get an unfair treatment compared with fine-tipped brushes. More on that as we go along. But first, I want to reference something from yesterday's episode. And I want to tell you that I said something that was not true. And I wonder how many of you who listened to yesterday's episode caught what it was, or if anybody caught what it was. If you didn't, or if you did, I'll just go ahead and tell you. Yesterday's episode, I was talking about Liar Liar and Lie to Me. Liar Liar being the 1997 film starring Jim Carrey, in which he plays Fletcher Reed, a lawyer who is incapable of telling a lie, and Lie to Me, which is a TV show starring Tim Roth. And Tim Roth plays a detective who is able to tell when someone is lying to him by observing their body language, observing their facial expressions, maybe even speech patterns, all these things together. And he's able to tell when someone is lying. And then he goes through the process of elimination. He does kind of the Sherlock Holmes thing, narrows things down, based on when they flinched or when they tried to conceal a brief moment of disbelief, lacking confidence, contempt, scorn, embarrassment, probes at those moments. But I I said something untrue, which is kind of funny, given that the topic was lying. And actually, I think it gives us a great opportunity to touch on Another aspect of honesty. I said in yesterday's episode that Lie to Me only ran for one season. That's not true. That was not true. It actually ran for three seasons. From 2009 to 2011, Lie to Me 
was rocking it. Or I should say, it was rocking it for the first two seasons. And then it's been a long, long time since I watched it. I think I watched it back when it first came out. It basically fell off in the third season. Some serious mistakes were made in the writing, and fans were upset, and viewership left, and Fox elected to not bring the show back again for a fourth season. And plenty of fans were just so committed to it that they didn't even care. They said, no, 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 you got to keep it going, right? But it was done. It was over. Bad writing. At least that's what I read online after I recorded yesterday's episode and listened back to it. And I thought, oh, yeah. is that correct? Is that true? When was that series on the air? So I told you an untrue thing. And hopefully that was the only untrue thing I told you. But was it a lie? Did I lie to you? Now, some people think that to conceal a fact or to keep a a fact private, that that is the same thing as lying. No, that's not the same thing as lying necessarily. Now, if you concealed the fact, but you included other details, maybe exaggerated other details, meanwhile, you were withholding information. If you insisted that that was all there was to the story, what you had told, but you knew that there was more to the story, okay, that's lying. But if you leave certain information out because it's confidential, if you leave certain information out because the other person may use it to damage you or someone else who's innocent, and you're just weighing and measuring whether this is the right thing, whether they should have that information, whether they have any right to that information. I think that belongs in a separate category. It's not necessarily the same thing as lying. I think lying is a much more active pastime. You are actively saying things that you know to be not the case. But that is to say as well that lying is not the same as saying things that you believe to be true, which turn out to not be true. For instance, my having been just sure because of how many years ago it was, I was just sure that Lie to Me only ran for one season. And as I was thinking about this, why would I think that it had only run for one season? Well, one reason might be that I caught it on its first season and I didn't realize that it had come back for a second and a third. Another reason might be that I conflated in my mind Lie to Me with another show which I enjoy, which I haven't watched for too long, but the sci-fi series Firefly. Now, Firefly, actually, it did it did only run for one season, and I don't, I don't know why that is. But in the case of Lie to Me, I, I really was sure. I was sure that I remembered it only running for one season. Well, if I only watched one season, that could be why. If I was confusing it for some reason with Firefly, well, that could be why. Also, too, another possibility is that I enjoyed it so much, and I really, I don't very often binge watch anything. I binge watched Lie to Me. I enjoyed it that much. I just, I'm like, oh, I'm going to watch the next one, and the next one, and the next one. But in watching Lie to Me, maybe it felt like one season, but it was actually three because each episode was just that enjoyable to me. I don't know. I don't know why I thought what I thought when I said what I said, but I was wrong. 
That feels better. Got that off my chest. <sighs> okay. Enough about that. On to the main topic, the main thing I want to talk about in this episode, which is broad brushes. And this actually makes for an excellent segue. So what do I mean by broad brush? For you younger listeners, I assume most of you know what a broad brush is. But in case you don't, a broad brush is a kind of metaphor for when somebody is making a very broad statement. They're making a general statement. They're making a big claim about a whole category of people or things. And it could be a positive or it could be a negative or it could be fairly neutral depending on what you do with the information. But it's a, it's a big claim, right? So for instance, for example, someone might say that Americans around the world are generally known for being big in their personalities. Americans are generally known when they go to Europe, for instance, for laughing loudly, for being very confident, for engaging in hyperbole, not being understated like the Brits, for instance, for having somewhat pedestrian taste as opposed to maybe the French, for being loud in lots of ways and confident and bold and just sure of themselves. Now, we are the best. Of course we're the best. Why wouldn't we be the best? I'll fight you. Right? Now, that's a broad brush. That's generally true. But if I say that it's generally true, someone might immediately say, oh, wait a second. I know plenty of Americans who aren't that way. I know plenty of Americans who are measured, calm, cool, polite, understated, very discreet. They have very refined taste. Well, that's fine, right? There can absolutely be exceptions to the rule, but there has to be a rule in order for there to be exceptions. And that's the whole point of a broad brush is to be able to say there are meaningful distinctions between things. Now, when there cease to be meaningful distinctions between things and between categories of things, well, then what exactly is the point of having categories? Riddle me that, right? That's where I think that broad brushes get a bad rap because you have to have a general category and the category has to be meaningful in order to organize information. And you have to be able to organize information in order to do something useful with it, in order to make sense of it, in order to proceed in an intelligible, decisive way. So for instance, I just took my sons Eli and Dan to the store. I ran through the store looking for supplies for cake. Tonight is family small group. It's also cake night, in part, I think, because the wife of our small group leader, her, it's her birthday today. And so that helps. And so it's, uh, you know, we're not all going to throw you a birthday party. The ladies did that last week, but we're going to have cake and we'll just call it cake night, I guess. So that's cool. That's fun. That'll be good. Who, who can argue with cake? But we're going through the store, and we've got a list of ingredients that my wife had texted me. 
And oh, by the way, we were out and about because those two lads went with me to the Larimer County landfill this morning, first thing. We took a load of leaves and branches and also a broken mirror and offloaded it. And maybe now we'll have better luck. We had a very broken mirror. And now that it's gone, now that it's out of our yard, we should be doing better. You'll be glad to know. Not that we're su- not not that we're superstitious, but we are a little stitious. Uh, so so we take all this stuff. We we take this to the landfill, and on the way home, m- my wife, Lauren, gives me a list, and so we go to Walmart and we get the supplies for cake. And and here's the here's the thing of it, right? Well, it's all food. It's all food. I mean, you go into Walmart and half the store or maybe a third of the store is food, the grocery section. You know, if we don't have meaningful distinctions between things, then who are you to say that I should have to go to the grocery part of the store in order to find Cool Whip? Who are you to say that I should have to go to the grocery part of the store to find caramel syrup? Why shouldn't I be able to go to the garden section and find all that? Hmm? Uh, why, why shouldn't I be able to go back to the electronics section and find devil's food cake? Because what could be more appropriate to bring to a church function than devil's food cake? You know, who are you to, to paint with a broad brush and say there's a meaningful difference between cake and a USB cable, Right? But of course, we don't talk like that. And we don't think like that. It's just obvious that you would put the frozen goods in the aisle where the freezers are. And ideally, you keep the frozen goods in the freezers. If you want them to remain frozen, you don't call that bias or discrimination. You say, no, I want the frozen goods to be frozen. And otherwise, I'm not buying frozen goods. There is no such thing as frozen goods. I want to have the Heath bars in the candy section so that so long as I know where the candy section is, I know where the Heath bars are. And while I'm there, maybe I'll get some gum for a little girl who also has a birthday. And I'll know that the gum is going to be close to that aisle because gum is a kind of candy and it's been categorized. And who would say to me, Oh, ho, ho, gum and Heath bars are very different things. They taste very different and get very serious and get very snooty and get very much like way too many millennials. I've heard people of my generation, I have heard, take to TikTok, take to YouTube, and they're just indignant. Here I'm going to possibly stick my foot in my mouth, so get ready. I have seen more than one video show up in my Instagram feed over the past, let's say, two months, where there's this guy, Elijah Schaefer, I follow on Instagram, just for anyhow. I don't even remember why, except I think it came up as a suggestion. You might like Elijah Schaefer, because of some other uh, Instagram accounts that I was following. So I follow Elijah Schaefer, and he'll post things to Instagram, just brief little videos, and they'll show up. And this one that he posted 
was this very overweight. And I don't say just a little overweight. I say very overweight. Like, I think close to morbidly obese uh, young woman doing a TikTok video. And she's talking about fat shaming. And she's talking about how men will say, well, no, I don't hate fat people. I just don't want to date someone who is fat. And this overweight woman, I mean, not just like a little extra, but a lot extra, like 2X, 3X, what would be a healthy weight for her, is just absolutely beside herself to all men who would fail to appreciate her body and the blessing that it would be to date her. And da 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 da. You know, and you say you don't hate fat people, but you're discriminating against us, and how dare you? Da 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 da. And all this stuff, right? And I think to myself, boy, I hope I don't ever sound like that. Boy, <laughs> oh man, do you hear yourself, lady? Like you're not healthy. You're like even just from a practical standpoint, let's not even talk about like trying to guilt and browbeat a man into being attracted to you. Good luck with that, by the way, whatever size or weight you are, like not a strategy for success. Let me just tell you that straight out. But for another thing, from a practical standpoint, you are not healthy. You're not healthy physically and you're not healthy mentally and emotionally. And by the fact that you're embracing this unhealthy body and you're insisting that everybody should just have to accept you the way that you are, regardless, and you're just going to like double down, triple down, you, like you, you're selfish. I'm sorry. Like you're just, you're, you're a selfish person. You don't have room in your life for a man because it's all about you. And so, you know, I think about that and I think to myself, okay, we're getting away from each and every single distinction we can possibly imagine. We're going to eliminate any distinction, any meaningful distinction between heterosexual and homosexual, for instance, or between what it used to just be called gender and sex, but now is cisgender or transgender or agender or asexual, we're going to eliminate there being any difference between a man and a woman. A man could be a man, or a man could be a woman, or a woman could be a woman, or a woman could be a man. Now, we're, we're going to maintain that there's still a pay gap, even though there is no such thing as a woman anymore. Figure that one out for me. There is no such thing as a woman, but a man can be one. Okay. I... You've lost your mind, and I'm not going to lose mine just to fit in with you. Sorry. Like, no. So then, though, you come to something like weight, a healthy weight. And I've known very few people who just seem to be like perfectly proportioned and healthy and physically fit. And we're all works in progress, and so you get somebody who is in really good physical shape and maybe they haven't really invested in cultivating their mind. 
And then you get somebody who's really, really worked to cultivate their mind. They're very, very mentally sharp. And maybe they haven't developed a strong, healthy body. Or maybe they're pretty fit. They're decently fit physically, and they're decently fit mentally. But emotionally, they're just a train wreck. And this is just this is where we're all at to some extent. But yet, you don't say that and just tell people that there is no such thing as physical health. There is no such thing as mental health. There is no such thing as emotional health or spiritual health. You don't say that to people if you love them. You say that to people if you love yourself poorly, I should add. You love yourself and don't want anyone suggesting that you should have to change your way of relating, change your attitude, change your habits, change your life. The world should have to conform to you, you think, and not the other way around. And the unreality of that is so dangerous. It is so, so dangerous. And I think a large part of why we don't appreciate how dangerous it is, is because we live in a welfare society, wherein when your life choices turn out to be just as bad as the thinking people were trying to warn you they were, society picks up the tab for as long as possible. And the polite folks who have the means and the wherewithal and the power to try to brush it away, try to keep it away from the limelight so that the rest of happy society doesn't have to stop being happy. But sooner or later, when this all hits the wall, it's going to be a matter of life and death. When the safety net doesn't catch us anymore or it breaks because the whole of society is in the net and nobody's holding the net anymore, it will be found out for the life or death issue that it was. And so we come back again to this question of broad brushes. And I'm thinking of writing this book, which I need to work on a chapter of hopefully this afternoon. And I'd like to get one written tomorrow as well. Ideally, I'd like to get ahead of schedule because things happen. Just like I was talking about with budgeting, if you were trying to build a house, you want to come in under budget or at least plan to be under budget because then things are going to come up and you might just actually hit your budget. But as I'm working on this book about marriage, I can't tell you how many comments I've heard from very reasonable, otherwise very trustworthy people warning me to be very careful as I write about marriage that I don't imply that marriage is better than not being married. Don't go telling people that marriage is better than not marriage. You don't want to paint with too broad of a brush, Garrett. You might make the single folks feel like they're missing out. You might make the young people feel like they're not going to be a valid member of the family and society and the community until they have found a wife. You don't want them to feel ashamed, single shamed, I guess. Maybe that's a term we need to come up with. Right now, the flavor of the month is fat shaming. And next, we need to deal with single shaming. Maybe, I guess, could be. Roll a dice. 
Let's spin the wheel like this is Wheel of Fortune. We'll see what we get. But I think about that and I just like, I'm thrown for a loop because it's like, well, no. Like if there's if there's no advantage to getting married, then why would I write the book, right? Like what are you warning me to not do? Like I don't know how I write this book without saying getting married is better. Staying married once you are married is better. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. Good as opposed to not good because that's binary. Married as opposed to not married because that's binary. Now, it isn't to say that everyone who stays single is not good, but it is to say, and I'm going to emphasize this point through repetition in my book, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and also that the first thing God ever said was not good was that the man should be alone. And the statistics cannot be explained. I'm sorry. They cannot be explained. Actually, I'm sorry that I'm not sorry. Statistics cannot be explained for the shift from married population to unmarried population over the past 60 years by saying, well, 30%, 37% of Americans more now than back then have decided to be as Paul was, as the Apostle Paul was. And the Apostle Paul is very pleased about that, I'm sure, except it doesn't follow. Just because somebody's single doesn't mean that they're serving God in their singleness. If you are single, yes, you should be serving God. And if you are married, you should be serving God. But if you're single and you're not called explicitly to a life of full-time ministry, your reasons for actually being single may or may not be you just really want to serve God with your extra, with the free time that you now have because you're not married and you don't have children. But I think to myself also of listening to this Babylon Bee podcast episode with my boys and the drive to the Larimer County landfill was 40 minutes. The drive back, I think, was also 40 minutes. Larimer County as opposed to the North Weld County landfill because I have only gone to the North Weld County landfill once, and that was enough. That was more, actually, than what I wish I had ever gone. I went once to dispose of a deer carcass, and it cost $75, which is just ridiculous. Absurd. But the 40 minutes there to the landfill, 40 minutes back. On the way there, we listened to my podcast, which was fun. And then on the way back, we listened to the Babylon Bee podcast, which is a good time. I I wouldn't say it's always something I'm in the mood for or that I always am just loving it, but I, I have enjoyed catching their podcast. It is a nice dose of levity compared with the rest of what I typically listen to. Uh, so good stuff. One of these days I'll have to do an episode about all the podcasts that I listen to and why and, and when and, and whatnot. But suffice to say, we're listening to this Babylon Bee podcast episode. And one of the comments, just in passing, discussing Biden's recent State of the Union address, 
and how he said, no, we don't need to defund the police. We need to fund the police. We need to refund the police. One of the members of the Babylon B podcast crew said something like, oh man, I, I really thought Biden was for defunding the police. And another guy, another part of their crew says, no, 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 that actually Biden, every step of the way through the 2020 election cycle, it was very clear he was not for defunding the police. He's been very clear about that. That's part of how he was able to get away with running as a moderate. So he actually is pro-police as opposed to the radical left, but it's a a bit of a contentious issue for the left, whether to be pro-police or anti-police. But he just he made this comment, and he made it very casually, married very directly, very nonchalant and not stressed out to say it. It was just a matter of fact, plain, simple thing. And then they moved on. And there wasn't even a hiccup. And I thought to myself in the moment, it's like, how often do you hear, as soon as somebody tries to make a meaningful distinction between the right and the left in this country, how often do you hear a moderate, mushy middle, apolitical, you know what, can't we all just get along? Can't we just join hands and sing Kumbaya? How often do you hear the response of, well, Republicans aren't that great either. No, 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 stop, stop it. You're doing the same thing that the whole anti-fat shaming people do. You're doing the whole same thing that the LGBTQ people do. Heterosexual, homosexual, who are we to say which one is better and which one's less good? You're doing the same thing that the pro-choice people do when they say, well, I am personally opposed to abortion, but I also don't think it's right for me to judge and to say that somebody else shouldn't be free to get an abortion. No, 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 no. If it's wrong, it's wrong. If it's fine, then it's fine. And you should be just fine with it. You shouldn't be personally opposed. How does that work exactly? You're personally opposed for what reason? Because it's evil, actually, because it's murder. I mean, imagine the insanity, the moral insanity of saying, well, you know, I'm personally opposed to my neighbor being brutally stabbed in the middle of the night and having all of his things stolen by MS-13. But, uh, you know, who am I to judge? You know, like I, I wouldn't personally do that. But if someone else wants to do that, if, you know, if that's what makes them happy, then so be it. Well, no, that's that's crazy talk. That is just absolute crazy talk. But what it represents is a unwillingness, a stubborn unwillingness and refusal to draw meaningful distinctions. Now, what's bad is when you draw distinctions along the wrong lines, very arbitrarily. Say, for instance, I just decided that anybody who wears the color black, I just, you know, I, I just don't trust people who wear black which would be rich because my favorite color is black. But I'm just saying, I, I like black. I wouldn't wear all black. I think that's weird. But I like, I'm, I'm wearing a black t-shirt right now. I like black. I think it's slimming, right? Uh, I am ashamed of my fat. Thank you very much. I, I do think that fat shaming, it works. 
And when I start to pack on a little bit of an extra gut, I think that my being embarrassed about that actually helps me to get healthier. I think my being embarrassed, not that everybody's like making fun of me, like, oh man, like, although, although, as soon as I say that, I think of my friend, Daniel Gaffney, who I used to work with at Sterling Energy. He was one of the operators. I think of my friend, Daniel Gaffney, making a comment in passing one day, and he didn't mean it like mean-spirited or anything, but he said something to me about how, boy, I can tell your wife feeds you well. And I had just come back with yet another bacon double cheeseburger because I was getting myself a bacon double cheeseburger for lunch every day. I think a jalapeno bacon double cheeseburger, actually, because I like the jalapeno. It was really good. But he made this comment, and I was just like, "Am I getting, am I, am I, am I getting fat?" And then I go home and I weigh myself, and I look at myself in the mirror. And I took a long look at myself in the mirror, and I thought, you know, I think I have packed on a few pounds, and I'm not feeling as good as I have at different times when I was eating better than this. And you know what? Actually, I am kind of embarrassed that. This is not only the way I look, but it's also the way I feel. And I am going to cut it out with the burgers for a while. I'm going to start eating salads for a while. I'm going to start exercising again and try and drink more water and less soda. Cut soda out. You want to lose some weight? Cut soda out. Boy, howdy. In a hurry. Drink water. Cut the soda out. Eat some salads. doesn't have to be forever. And they can be delicious salads. It is possible to have a delicious salad. Believe me. I couldn't give up on the blue cheese. I just, I couldn't. I love it too much. But in any event, the point being, it was good for me to be ashamed of being fat. And so I actually think that the people who are against fat shaming should be extra ashamed, not only of being fat, if they're fat, but... They should be ashamed of their shamelessness. There's a passage in the scriptures that comes to mind increasingly as the days and the weeks and the months and the years go by and I get older and I see our culture continue on down a dark road that I hope we reverse course on before it's too late. It comes from Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 15. I think also it's repeated in the 8th chapter, the 12th verse. But it reads, Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed. They did not know how to blush. Therefore they shall fall among those who fall. At the time that I punish them, they shall be overthrown, says Yahweh. Chapter 8, verse 12. Similarly, are they ashamed of the abomination they have committed? No, they have no shame at all. They do not even know how to blush. So they will fall among the fallen. When I punish them, they will collapse, says Yahweh. You know, that's a a very concerning thing. And that should be a very concerning thing for us. That we would forget how to blush. You know, typically when somebody does blush, we laugh at them. And I understand that on a certain level. And yet, 
if there's an embarrassment component there that's born of something that we should be embarrassed about, we should not condition people out of proper embarrassment. And we shouldn't wage war on embarrassment. I wonder where this came from, except Rousseau, when he said that man is free, yet everywhere is in chains. Where did this come from, except as an inseparable part of our being our modern selves, like Carl R. Truman talks about? We think that we are born good, and it's systems that get in the way. Man is good, but it's the Republican Party that's holding up the train. It's the Democrat Party that's keeping us down. It's organized religion that gets in the way. It's politics. It's free market capitalism. It's geopolitics. It's the media. It's the internet. It's these damn cell phones. It's... No. No, no, no. We are not born inherently good. Now, when God first made Adam, when he first made man in his image, and saw all that he had created, including the cherry on top, man made in God's image, God saw, and behold, it was very good. Man and woman together was good. The first thing that was not good was for the man to be alone, but it was good that man was created. It was very good when God saw all that he had created, culminating in the creation of Adam and then Eve. But then the fall happens, and then sin enters the world. The serpent tempts Eve with the forbidden fruit. And she takes it, she eats it, she gives some to her husband, he eats also. And the whole race has been cursed ever since. If we have one nature only, it's a sinful nature. And if we're saved, if we're in Christ, yes, we're a new creation, but we still have that old man hanging on until the eschaton. We know in part, and his grace is sufficient for us, we're not going to have perfect ability even in Christ, until Christ returns or calls us home. So it's right and proper that we would occasionally, from time to time, find ourselves blushing because we really stepped in it. We really said something we shouldn't have. Now we sound like an idiot. We really did something that we shouldn't have done there. That was dumb. That was boneheaded and clumsy. Oy vey. We missed an opportunity. Oh, for crying out loud. Oh, that would have been great. What was I thinking? We fall into a trap. Oh, foolish me. Broad brushes are useful when you're trying to paint a big area. Can we just all agree on that? Broad brushes do have their place. If you were trying to paint the side of a house, for instance, you wouldn't get one of those tiny little fine-tipped brushes like my wife gives to our kids sometimes when they're doing watercolors. I mean, can you imagine? Like you'd have to have really messed up for somebody to say, I want you to paint the whole side of this house, but I want you to paint it with this. 
and then they hold up one of those little crafting brushes that kids do their watercolors with. I want you to paint this whole house with this. No, that's absurd. Absolutely not. That's cruel and unusual punishment. You wouldn't do that. Not if you wanted to actually get it done. What you would get if you were trying to paint the whole side of a house would be at least a broad brush. And depending on the size of the project and your resources, you might get a sprayer and just spray it. Yes, you'd have to do some prep work, tape things off, tarp things maybe where you don't get the paint anywhere but where you want it to be and the color that you want it to be. But you would paint with a broad brush even if you're spraying it on. And so, to be frank, I'm weary by this outgrowth of the post-truth society that we live in. And I find it everywhere. I find it inside the church and outside the church. I find it at work. I find it in my community. I find it when I turn on the news. I find it when I listen to books. I find it when I listen to music. I find it when I'm just browsing Amazon or eBay, like it's everywhere, this reluctance to make meaningful distinctions when it comes to morality. And because we've forgotten how to blush, we feel no embarrassment whatsoever at totally arbitrary distinctions being made up whole cloth along totally perverse lines. Now, we were told you can't legislate morality, and yet, what do you know? The left tries to do exactly that. Listen to their language. It is apocalyptic with regards to climate change. It has all of the fervor and passion and conviction of a revival preacher when it comes to people doing anything that might reduce a woman's ability to get an abortion. You should repent of that, clearly. You misgender somebody on purpose even. You're going to the hot place which is odd. It's an odd look for people who themselves are going to the hot place to talk and act as though you having some morality left that resembles what God said was correct makes you the evil one. Isn't that odd? It's an odd look. But I find myself thinking, as I'm writing this book on marriage, I have to be able to paint with a broad brush, particularly when we're talking about as fundamental of a category as maleness and femaleness. In some sense, in our day and age, we're painting with too fine of a brush and also painting with too broad of a brush. So we just eliminated a middle category of brush size. And the trouble there is that all the things you're supposed to paint with that middle brush size, you're either taking... 100 times as long to paint with this tiny little crafting brush that doesn't get the job done. Or you're doing a really sloppy job with the overly large brush. And then, oh, by the way, if somebody points out that, hey, this is like ridiculously inefficient and time consuming and torturous. Or, hey, yeah, you got it done in record time, but also... It looks like crap. Somebody points that out. It's like, oh, oh no, you can't say that. That is that's very, oh, very intolerant, very unpleasant. 
you should get fired. You should lose your business. You should not be able to run for office. You should be ejected from the banking system. You should lose the ability to communicate with other people. Go to hell. At a minimum, the church has to be better than that. You know, a friend of mine recently said that it's a really good thing that cultural Christianity went away because people were fake. People were fake and they weren't being honest and they weren't being authentic. And now that cultural Christianity is out of the way, people are being honest and they're being genuine. And now we can actually have a genuine conversation with them. And I think to myself, now wait a second, does that follow actually? I see a lot of dishonesty among those who have rejected cultural Christianity because they're godless. I've seen a lot of dishonesty. I'm not seeing an increase in honesty. I'm seeing an increase in double-mindedness, but of a very different kind. And yes, it's gross when people claim to be God's people, but they live like the devil. But it's also gross when people live like the devil and they insist that God's people are actually the evil ones. So I don't know that we're necessarily any further ahead. I'm not sure that follows. But I would say it is important for us to be able to make meaningful distinctions and to think broadly. That's not a restriction. Actually, it might be a major time saver. It might actually be all for the best. Consider with me the fact that I just ordered a new set of bunk beds for my kids. My inheritance came in from my grandmother, Renu. She passed away two years ago, and everything just finally settled for the majority of the assets and accounts and whatnot. And the first installment just made it into our bank account uh, yesterday. So one of the things, in addition to trying to get some loans and lines of credit straightened out and rearranged, reorganized, trying to get some debts paid down and paid off from the past two years plus of pandemic, reduced hours, medical bills, moving expenses, living expenses. I also decided to go ahead and finally get our boys new beds. And it's overdue. We've had, it. we realized actually all of a sudden, once this idea came to mind, we realized that we have had our current bunk beds that are in the basement for between eight and 10 years. Uh, one of the two sets we got when we moved into our house in Glendive 10 years ago. And the other we got not too terribly long after we moved into our house in Sydney. And so, as you can imagine, such as it was, our situation really didn't allow us, didn't give us the resources at the time to buy the best quality, most durable, strong as an ox bunk beds. And also our boys were, you know, fairly young at the time. You know, they weren't eight and 10 years ago, they weren't the size that they are now. And so we didn't think to ourselves, hey, we need big, robust, strong, really, really well-built bunk beds. We can get, you know, these metal bunk beds and 
you know, they're reasonably priced and we can afford one now. And okay, a little ways in, we'll get another one. We'll replace these two toddler beds. We'll get those out of here, haul them off. And then as the years go by, you find out just how rough four boys and then five and then six and now seven boys, although Andrew's, he's been pretty gentle so far. He's doing a good job. But you find out how rough four, five, six boys can be to bunk beds. And so they've, they've broken. Uh, these you know, metal bunk beds, uh, they've broken them. And uh, it's just gotten to be you know, kind of an embarrassment for us and also frustrating to them, I think, because you know, the bottom bunks for both, they were just laying the mattress on the floor, and that's not quite as comfortable as can be. Plus, then you lose any kind of storage you would have under the bed, you know, being able to shove trash and books and dirty laundry and banana peels under there. Like you just can't do that as well when the mattress is just right on the floor. And so I said, hey, you know what? Why don't we take a look at getting some new bunk beds? Like these, these are well-worn. We got a lot out of them considering we've had them for eight to 10 years. And I think they need to be retired. And so I jump on the computer and for one, I'm getting a better quality, I think, solid wood construction. For two, one of the bunk beds is going to be a full above two twins, which is going to be cool because it's got a little bit of built-in storage, some drawers that are built in underneath the two twins, plus a little nightstand that goes between the two twins where you can set a lamp, an alarm clock, and there's a little drawer you can put in a wallet and watch and things like that in there. So that's cool. And then the other one is actually, it's a triple bunk, which is exciting because that'll free up floor space, which is important. But, you know, we get these two bunk beds in the next week or two. And my boys having those bunk beds are going to be able to draw some meaningful distinctions, right? Someone could say, well, that's a bunk bed. That's a bunk bed. They're both bunk beds. What's the difference? No, there's a big difference, actually. There's a big difference between bunk bed over here where the supports are broken that are supposed to hold the mattress up off the floor where the ladder broke a long time ago where the screws are always coming loose. You know, there's a big difference between that and uh, wood construction. And, And there's a big difference between these two beds are stacked on top of each other and there's a toddler bed over here because when we bought these two bunk beds, there were only four of you boys and now there's six of you down here. There's a big difference between bunk bed here, toddler bed over there, and three beds stacked straight up. And now more of the floor is clear for you guys to be able to walk around, work out, get your clothes, put a desk there, sit and write, work on homework, whatever. You know, I I think that there's a certain sense in which I might look at the condition of the basement before I make that order, even after I make the order, even as we're taking these bunk beds apart. I think actually in real time right now, <laughs> the boys are taking apart the bunk beds and hauling the parts out to the truck. And we're going to take them off to the scrapyard, 
and get them scrapped out, see if we can get maybe a few bucks. But, you know, it's easy to take a look at that and to say, oh, man, oof, this is way overdue. Like, we should have gotten rid of these bunk beds a long time ago. Why did I even buy these bunk beds? They weren't well made enough to stand up. You know, they're made of metal, for crying out loud. You know, it, it's easy to, to look at it and say, you know, even though it's not a, it's not a sin issue, obviously, or we sinned to buy these bunk beds such as they were, but it's easy to look at that and say, right, that's embarrassing, right? So I don't, I don't want to admit that there's a distinction. I, I don't want to say that a bunk bed, which is all together and intact and looks good, is better than this bunk bed, which is broken and doesn't look so hot anymore and doesn't work quite so well for our purposes anymore. You know, but, but if I were so, if I were so committed to not being embarrassed that I would refuse to make those kinds of distinctions. I also, when I had the wherewithal, not that we've always had the wherewithal because we really haven't for the past several years, but it would be very hard to make that jump from, okay, this is a problem to, Let's solve it. Let's do something about it. You, know, you, you can't solve problems that you're not willing to recognize and you're not willing to admit. And, and you can't also solve problems unless you're willing to say that there is such a thing as a solution. If you're fatalistic and you say, well, there's no, you know, what's the point, right? And even Christians can do this. And I think it's not nearly so spiritual as they like to tell themselves. But they'll say, well, no, you know what? What is physical is fleshly and what is spiritual is good. And so I'm going to focus on the spiritual things, the things of the Lord, you know, like the brothers, the, the other brothers in uh, Nacho Libre. Well, Nacho wants to get some good ingredients. You know, they, they won't give him any money to buy ingredients. And so he has to take to wrestling. He, he he becomes a luchador, <laughs> so he can win money to buy these little ninos a proper meal, and maybe even buy a bus, and maybe even take them on field trips and road trips, and let's hey let's go do stuff right like let's get out of here. And meanwhile, you've got this smarmy, sleazy brother. When uh, oh, what's her name? Uh, Incarnacio. <laughs> you know, she comes up. She's the beautiful nun who's their new teacher, the, the student's new teacher, the, the boys at this orphanage, their new teacher. You know, she's standing there, and, you know, the smarmy brother wants to talk with her. And Nacho comes up, and it's like, you need to excuse us. The sister and I need to talk about holy things. And, and you know, that he, like, that's not his motive at all. His motive is not to talk about holy things. And yet, Nacho, interestingly enough, is pursuing a holy thing. You know, if he were pursuing becoming a luchador just for his own selfish pride, his own selfish vanity, which I think he struggles with, but he, you know, he comes out of that okay. But if he were pursuing it just for his own selfish ambition, that would be one thing. Is it 
selfish ambition for him to say, I need to take care of these niños. And actually, Encarnacio, I want you to marry me. We'll raise these little niños. <laughs> yeah, it's a great story, by the way. That's, uh, I keep talking about movies here recently. That is a great movie. Nacho Libre, fantastic. I love it. But I got to run. That's enough for this episode. The big idea, I'll leave you with this. Broad brushes might not be good for fine detail work, might not be always the best for edge work, but broad brushes have their place. We shouldn't always dismiss broad brushes. They can be very useful. When they are useful, we need to be able to use them with confidence and not have someone dismissing them just because, hey, I don't want that part of the house painted so quick, quicker than I would paint it with my little fine tip craft brush. We need to not do that. That's not good. That's not always a nuanced approach. Sometimes that is motivated by selfish ambition. Hey, you're getting it done faster than I would with your broad brush. Well, yeah, but also, isn't that the point to get it done and get it done in a reasonable amount of time? Like, why are we fiddle farting around? Let's just get to it, right? When the house needs painted, paint it. Enough said. I got to run though. I'm going to go make sure these kiddos are getting the parts of the bunk bed taken apart safely, put in the back of the truck safely. That's all for this episode. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.